welcome to the College Counseling Podcast, the podcast about counseling students on the college admissions process. I'm Sam Pritchard, and today my guest is Ryan Keaton, co-director of college counseling at Friends Central School in Wynwood, Pennsylvania. I'm excited to share Ryan's insights and journey with you, including the biggest mistake parents and students make in the process. I also want to make sure you're aware of our Counselor Hub, where you'll find resources, free events, and everything Kaplan has to offer for counselors. You can find it at captest.com slash counselors. Now, on to my conversation with Ryan. All right, well, Ryan, uh, thanks for, for taking some time to speak with me today. Excited to, to learn a little bit more about, uh, about your journey and your, your work. How are you today? I'm doing well. Um, the best news that I can always report at this time of year is that all my seniors have a home um, and things are coming together for this class and we're nonstop now dealing with juniors and course registration and all the same things that my colleagues on the side of the desk are dealing with in April. Excellent. Well, glad glad to hear it. It is, it is always good when all the students have a have a next step, have a home. Right. Uh, right. Excellent. Well, so I was interested just to learn a little more about your journey and how you got into counseling. How did how did you find yourself in this in this profession? Um, by accident, as I'm sure most of my colleagues would also agree, is how they found themselves here. Um, I was took a job um, in my undergrad as an admissions intern, which was filing, like some heavy duty on the floor, filing for many, many hours. And I just really loved listening to the conversations and uh, was fortunate to be able to interview for a student ambassador position, which was ultimately a tour guide. And then after that, an admissions fellow in my senior year. And that allowed me to do some travel for the admissions office, some local regional travel for the admissions office. I should mention, I went to SUNY Geneseo, which is even after all the colleges I've seen, still my favorite college in the whole planet. Um, And so from there, I took an admissions position um, at Niagara University, which is in my hometown. Um, and loved it, loved it. Had an incredible boss who really cared about nurturing me as an employee and exposing me to the different facet of admissions. Um, and from there, I just got to see it was more than just you know making decisions. It was a lot about relationships and working with students who, some students who had incredible amounts of access and students who had no access. Um, and getting to start to see the variety of colleges that were out there because I worked at, working at Niagara was completely different than going to Geneseo, um, you know, having a Catholic Division I experience. And then um, I went to Bryn Mawr and worked at a women's college, again, completely re-envisioning what the experience could be like in undergrad for students who would attend Bryn Mawr, and there was able to become a posse mentor and see that admissions extended beyond you know, getting them in the door, but what their experience would be like and being part of shaping their experience while they were four-year undergraduate students. And that's when I started to really turn and think, wow, admissions is great and I love it, um, but what's really making my experience is spending time developing relationships with students. And so I I did take a position at uh, Swarthmore, which was wonderful four years. Um, And that solidified it for me. You know, it was working with the senior fellows and it was um, the, my interactions with the current students that made me think, I, I wanna, I don't wanna 
recruit students and then turn around and leave and go and recruit their siblings. I want to start having some more long-term relationships and getting to know students and facilitating their experiences um, more long-term. And so I came, transitioned to a college counselor, and it was exactly what I was looking for. Um, you know, you can, in the course of 18 months, um, you get the opportunity to get to know a family, um, to get to see a student grow into their current school community, um, to help them envision themselves. Are they really taking advantage of all that the schools have to offer? Um, you get to help them shape how they think about themselves in terms of how they're defining their own personal successes. Um, and then you get to help them launch into these next steps of thinking bigger and beyond the doors of the of the high school. So I love it. It's perfect. Um, and that's that's how I got into this role. Excellent. Well, wonderful. One of the things I've heard people say who have made that transition from being in an admissions office to being on the high school side is that when you represent the college, parents see you as this this authority direct from the source, uh, and then switching to the high school side, then they they sometimes don't see you in, in exactly the same way. But That's the hard part of this role is that sometimes some people will perceive you as just a paper pusher. Um, and it's not always up to me to change their mind about that. Um, I try to be somebody who has talked and, and spent enough time with a student that they come to trust my opinion or to seek my opinion, um, regardless of whether or not they follow, pay attention to what my opinion ultimately is um, or follow any advice. If they ask for advice, I offer it, but they don't always follow it. Um, but I don't, I don't sort of foist my experience on them because I feel like that's the most active way to get them to push back and to ignore it. And parents are amazing because they really do run a huge spectrum. And at different points of the college process, they can be different types of parents. And so my job is to try to understand where they're coming from in that moment, how it might be different than where they were just six months before or six months from now. Um, and to, again, create a relationship where they think, well, I know they can feel good about what they know, um, but they can start to hear a little bit about what my experience might have, um, might be telling me and how it might impact um, what decisions they make in the future. And though sometimes I just want to be like, you're wrong. Don't do that. A lot of times I'll say, well, let's just see how that turns out. That's one plan. And then we can circle back to this conversation if we need to, if we're figuring out along the way that that's not working. And I think that that works. It's, you got to be gentle with people. It's, for some, a very terrifying process. Great. I think that's a great perspective. Um, some of the, a number of the high schools that you've worked with are friends schools. And when we've spoken before, uh, it was interesting to me to learn about what that means and, and how that affects the kind of the culture, the ethos of the school. Can you speak a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, friend schools, Quaker schools. So Quakers are um, known as um, the Religious Society of Friends. 
And it's interesting to me too, because before being interviewed at Bryn Mawr, I'd never heard of Quaker schools either. And so in doing my research to figure out if this was um, an, an institution that I want to pursue an application, I started researching about Quaker schools. And I was like, that does sound kind of interesting, but having worked in a Catholic school, for some students, religion doesn't even touch them at all. You just don't go to chapel and everything's fine. Um, and I find that actually since Bryn Mawr, then I worked at Swarthmore, also Quaker, then I went to Penn for grad school, also Quaker roots, then <laughs> Abington Friends School, Quaker High School, and now Friends Central. So the bulk of my career on the Quaker side, and I think that what I'm learning is that the students are, the community is led by these, um, we call that the spices. So simplicity, peace, integrity, community, um, quality, and stewardship. Those are things that really transcend a particular religion. For this group, it happens to be a religion, but less than 2% of a, the population at this school, and in fact, most schools that I've worked at were actually Quaker. Um, but these values are something that are core to shaping education. It's fascinating to me uh, in the, the interactions that I've had with students at some of the friends schools, I've been impressed at I don't know, the self-awareness and the, um, I don't know, self-possession that maybe is a, is a way to say it, where often when I would meet with a, a parent and a student about testing and about college admissions, you, you get the parent saying, well, he wants this and he wants this and he's really excited about this. And, but with some of these, the friend students, they would tell me, well, here's what I want to do. Here's the score that I need to get to reach my goals. And it's just uh, surprising, but in a, in a really, really wonderful way. So it's been interesting for me to learn about. Don't see, you're not seeing those, trans, those traditional hierarchies either. You're seeing students forming relationships and approaching their teachers um, about things that maybe are beyond whatever the teacher's subject is. Um, because they have that kind of access. Um, because the student said something in meeting for worship that really resonated with the faculty member or vice versa. Um, and, and I think when the students have that level of comfort, that's an incredible send off to the larger communities that they're inevitably entering for college because they're not afraid to ask a question in a larger classroom. They're not afraid to go and find a faculty member to for office hours because that's what they're used to doing is seeking out people and expecting that they are bringing something they they have something to contribute to the conversation and there isn't that fear or that deference to the faculty member which i think is an empowering experience and to some extent following trends in our in our society to an extent where more more people uh, have a voice uh, right in a, in a really positive way it's a lot of work it is a lot of work. And I think maybe I was one of those folks who thought that, you know, having summers off sounds nice. Um, and that is one, not the case, hasn't been the case ever in my career. Um, I always worked um, and had, you know, I just had the four weeks that I didn't take during the year during the summer. Um, 
but I didn't realize how much of working on the high school side wasn't just about a college process, but how much you had to understand about what the curriculum of your high school was and how you were able to influence or needed to impact that from your position on college counseling. Um, I had no idea of the spectrum of um, time and energy students were putting into their high school experience. You know, we saw those pretty neat activities lists, which were, I don't know, eight activities when I was in admissions and now we're 10, something like that. Um, it doesn't look like that. You know, I feel like we're seeing students who are doing a lot more activities, some for the right reasons, some for not the right reasons. Um, and trying to decide how I feel about that and what ways I can positively influence students to think about their activities um, and having some downtime, which I never thought I would say. I, would, I thought before I would say, hey, like you, could, you could probably beef things up. You could be doing more. And now I'm thinking, how does this bode for when you're not in high school, when you're not in college, when you're an adult um, young man or young woman having to make choices about things? Everything is not about the resume. You know, where, when are you living? So those are the things that I wasn't expecting to learn, but did. That's great. Yeah. I guess we, we all to an extent assume our experience is the whole universe and you have to kind of intentionally uh, try to get outside of your, or broaden your experience to, to get a, to get a more, more complete or closer to complete uh, right. perspective. That's great. As you think about uh, college counseling as a, as a craft, perhaps, what do you think separates effective college counseling from ineffective college counseling? I think effective college counseling has a sense of humor. Um, there are so many things that are just not funny. <laughs> and yet, uh, there, we, we kind of have to model for students how to not take every single decision personally um, and how there are gonna be things that students, choices that students make that were maybe totally right in the moment, but ultimately didn't get them where they were thinking they wanted to go. Reminding students that everything has a place in the application, you know, that um, overemphasis of anything, any one particular thing is not going to be helpful. Um, so whether it's testing or activities or their supreme accomplishment in math, overemphasis on any one thing is certainly not, uh, I think, helpful in, in college counseling. But I think for me, a good college counselor is somebody who's coming in and is ready to be patient, um, ready to find that interesting, compelling, probably more than one thing about every single student and just get them to feeling like, nope, that is worthwhile. You know, those things that you're putting together, that's uniquely you and that is worthwhile and we're going to find a place for you. Um, I think it's hard to college counsel in some ways for some counselors and some schools who have to deal with managing their matriculation list if it has to look a certain way. Um, and maybe their particular class does not fit what those, you know, institutional goals are. Um, and yet, 
I think the students really need to come out feeling like, no, I made good decisions for me. I, I have these unique qualities and I'm worthwhile and I'm going to find a great fit college. Um, so keeping this, the process very student and individual stu student centered is the most important thing to me um, when they come in, which sometimes means I'm taking my lumps when a student is coming in with a incredibly um, unlikely or unreasonable list. Uh, because I have to build them up and say, no, you, you are amazing. You are totally what someone is looking for. But this list that you're coming to me with is not a great fit for you. And I know that's hard for them to hear because maybe for some students, they've been hearing the whole way that this is the type of school. Um, and then just knowing what I know, just seeing you know, that particular year, it's not going to work out the way they're hoping. So I think um, doing a good job of building students up um, sincerely um, and helping them find the fit colleges without um, hopefully being held back too much by having to adhere to a particular list. Great. How about for, for parents, if there were parents listening to, to our conversation, um, say it's their, their oldest child and their, their frame of reference maybe is their own college admissions process, um, mm -hmm. or they don't have a college admissions process, they weren't, they didn't, they didn't attend college themselves. What, what are the most important things for parents to, to know as their students are beginning to get to this age where they're thinking about college admissions? Every family is going to come into this and say, I've heard. Um, and some of the things that they've heard may have some relevance in the process. But most, mostly I feel like every year we're unveiling a completely different process or the information is applied in a completely different way. Um, that's a personal opinion. Um, so I feel like when families are coming in, I'm saying to them, let's not focus too much on the court of public opinion. Let's just focus on what we, you and I know to be true about your student, true about your family circumstances um, and the student's academic goals, needs, wants. And then as these little pieces come in, you know, we can express curiosity and, you know, I kind of heard this thing. I'm wondering to what level, what extent that impacts my student's experience. Um, I think they, I think parents can be, need to be really upfront and honest about, um, if they have some preconceived notions about specific schools or types of schools, um, but prepare to have those knocked down, right? Because what I hear sometimes, there are times where it feels like they're tr it's I'm playing a game of password. You know, they'll say, you know, we'd like a school like this, like a small school with a green campus about seven miles away from here, but not, and then give me one key factor that makes me think, oh, it's, it's this school and not that school, but they really want me to say that particular name, make sure that one's on the list, but not this other school. Um, and I think parents need to be really upfront and honest about how they're forming um, their thoughts about what would be a good fit um, and being really open to the guidance that they're receiving. Uh, but 
I also tend to think parents are invaluable in this process. And nine times out of 10, the piece of my recommendation that I love the most is something that the parent told me that the student never even thought was relevant in any way. Um, so whether it's about, you know, how many hours a student's playing a sport, or it's about how, um, how their unique relationship with a sibling, or, you know, something that is really important to their, the student, to giving some color to the student's personality or lifestyle. It all, it's usually coming from the parent, guardian, support member. Um, and so they they don't, I want them to know they are invaluable in this process. Um, but I need to see some flexibility about um, if they're coming in with particular names in mind. Um, that that can be difficult. Um, what else? Um, I was first generation myself. Mm -hmm. So I know what it's like to come in and think, I don't know anybody. And I, so I don't have these connections that I hear you're supposed to have. I, I, I identify with that feeling a lot. And I think there is, there are a lot of people along the way. And I think of the Fred Rogers saying, look for the helpers because you can find them, whether it's, you know, some of the best college counseling support people are going to be, you know, the, the um, neighbor that says, you know, like, wow, I'm really, did you know that the, uh, so-and-so went to a school for art too? Um, and just gives you one more name of an art school that the rest of us haven't named yet. Um, or it could be someone who um, works at the bank who says, oh, I can help you to fill out that FAFSA form. I know what it's going, what you're looking for. Or it could be someone who is in the financial aid office um, and you weren't expecting that they would be a resource to you before you matriculated. So know that the helpers are out there. Um, and if you ask a question, we can, we'd love to be, help you find your way and navigate this path. Great. Um, you touched on a few, but are there other mistakes that you see parents and students making in the process that uh, that maybe could be preventable? Oh, mistakes. Um, I would say most people are prepared for the shortest possible process. Okay. Um, and have to be reminded to be ready for potentially a longer process, but one that ultimately will yield them the results they were hoping for. So for example, um, you didn't get an early decision. You didn't get an early action. Doesn't mean you're not getting in if they deferred you. Let's, let's just be a little bit flexible. You know, let's not just completely walk away from all of the, you know, um, the idea that this could be a great fit. It just meant that they couldn't take you now if they offer you a deferral or a wait list. Um, the other think mistake is ta over talking to your student about the college process. Um, I can't imagine what a social event, I have a six and an eight year old. I cannot imagine what social events are like in 11th grade and 12th grade for parents. Um, I think that they over focus on 
who got in here and what their connections were. And well, I think my student scores were higher, lower. I think my students' grades were higher, lower. Uh, rigor was higher, lower. Just, I think, again, keep it focused on your student. Um, the comparisons, you don't have the information that you need to know what the admissions committee decisions could be. Um, there's so much that could make someone look great that doesn't make any sense to the viewing community on the outside. So stop trying in that way. Focus on your individual student. Uh, and I would say protect your student a little bit. You know, send an email to the family and say, hey, Thanksgiving is always really fun. <laughs> we love seeing you. But if you could give my kid a break <laughs> from, you know, asking them what they want to study in college, because maybe they're not sure. Um, it's a big identity development stage. Maybe they just don't know. Um, or could you maybe um, not say, never heard of that school? which seems really innocuous, but is a major ego blow mm. because they're the stories that students are telling themselves about a comment as simple and as potentially offhand, not even unintentionally hurtful is nobody's heard of this school. I'm never getting a job. I'm going to live with my parents forever. You know, I'm not successful. And that's not at all what you said, but that's how it's heard. Um, so maybe it's just like, oh, cool. Maybe just don't talk about it at all. Um, give them a little space, a little privacy around that. Um, there's so many things that we are, as a culture, really private about. Home value, salary. Um, this could be one of those things where we maybe don't discuss it as openly. Um, maybe we can talk about trends that we see. It's fine. But personal applications, what we're writing our essays about, not necessary. Um, so yeah. That's great. I think those are really good insights. One of the things that I've uh, observed as I've gotten you know, at, at conferences at NACAC and the Pennsylvania PACAC conference is how much how much mentoring uh, happens in the college admissions community on the college side on the high school side are there particular people that um whose, whose work you admire that have been been helpful to you as you've developed as a, as a college counselor yeah i mean i mean i've worked for a series of greats <laughs> i am super lucky um i would say that my first job was I was hired by another Geneseo alum, Michael Konopsky, who was um, the director at Niagara University. And he really believed in taking the his employees and encouraging them to be really good at what they did and have a lot of autonomy and decision making. And so you would come to him and he would say, here's the budget, what's the idea? And you know, he kind of pitched an idea and if it was creative and new and a little bit risky, but totally something that they could get behind, they did it. Um, and so that, that success was owned by you. And at 22, that's pretty empowering, pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a lot of variety there. And Mike also really emphasized involvement in the professional organizations. So it was always taught to me for my first year in admissions 
being a part of your state organization, being a part of a national organization, being a part of some of these organizations um, that are community-based are important and should be a priority and should be something that is built into your workday, not just your life outside, because you do should have a life outside. That should be part of your work-life balance. Um, that, you know, going to PACAC, going to NYSACAC, all of those things are professional development and learning, and it doesn't necessarily belong in your personal time only. So Mike really instilled that and said, this should be a part of every interview you do, is where does professional development fall? What's my budget for that? Um, what do you support? What don't you support? And so I've been really fortunate to have that built in forever. Um, and then I had the opportunity to work for the amazing Jenny Ricard, um, and who is now CEO of Common App. And she is a person who, and Mike too, I mean, they really valued being bright and having fun at work every day. Um, so you worked really hard, but there was time for, you know, some silliness. There was time for you to be really accountable for big, meaty projects. So I remember my first year um, I, at Bryn Mawr working for Jenny, I was in charge of on-campus events. And the first one, I was coordinating and I was putting all the details together. And I guess the one question I didn't ask is how many people were coming. And uh, the very first event that I did, it was like, I don't know, like 700 people, 500, 700, something like that. And she said, wow, I, look, all of these people and you coordinated all of this with your team. And that's just really impressive. And so she gave me this sense of providing people with important, meaningful work um, and always acknowledging them in the moment for the way they pulled something together. Um, and that has always been the thing that has made me want to do more. I, every, every single, um, if there was a glitch, if there was a, um, an opportunity to make it bigger. I wanted to do whatever it was to either fix it or improve it or whatever. Um, and I never from a sense of fear, always from a feeling of, yeah, that's not a big deal. We can take care of that real quick. Um, and so that's how I've learned that you can, you can be having a great time and be working hard is that I've had these mentors who've always shown me that. And then both of them really, um, highlighted how flexible you can be you know that education is an important field but this isn't the only thing you can do so do this if you love it but these skills are transferable to whatever areas you want to go next and so um, I've always felt really empowered to look beyond my field and see what other opportunities there were um, and there were opportunities like doing Sister Act or like working for College Horizons or Philly Futures or Jenny asked me um, if I was interested in being a posse mentor and I was. So there was, there was lots of opportunities beyond just what was on my initial job responsibilities and I've, I have so much confidence because of that. That's great. I think that's really powerful and I do think whether it's, whether it's in education or, or any industry, there are a lot of people who 
have this sense of nobody knows how hard I'm working and you, you kind of work in a way where you feel unnoticed and uh, not, not so much anonymity, but just um, unappreciated. And when, for people that do work with a boss who takes the time and takes the energy to say, hey, I noticed that you did some great work here and this mattered and I appreciate it. And you made things better for people because you leaned in and you were engaged. Um, that can go, it's such a simple thing, but it can go so far in uh, your, your motivation, your, and, and how much even that you're putting into the work. So um, I think that's great. You mentioned Sister Act. I read that you were a part of a production of Sister Act. Is that right? I was a musical. I was in the chorus um, of it. So I wasn't by any means the lead sister, um, but uh, I did after a, you know, I don't know, 20 year hiatus from musical theater, go out and audition in front of a live audience for a role and got it. Um, and I, I was the only person who uh, did not have very recent as, you know, like as recent as like the week before, you know, closing a show the week before, um, didn't have very recent experience and it was amazing. I loved it. Um, I, I could not believe, I could not believe how many people from my entire life showed up at the community theater to right. see me dance as like uh, sister number 25 or whatever my number was. Um, and I was super grateful because I think too, there's, have, it was all about the sense of humor. It was all about um, making it fit. I mean, I, one of the things that I really love about um, both Mike and Jenny is that both of them said, there's a life beyond your work. Um, you see, I see them work hard all the time, but both of them have very interesting, fun um, lives outside of work. And uh, I'm a working mother. Um, I have a significant other. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening on the outside. And so to have the flexibility to add in this hobby that I have was awesome. Um, well, I want to talk for a minute about uh, about testing and, and your experience with that. How do you see students and parents approaching testing and the students that you have worked with? What's what's their mindset? And then also, what do you how do you counsel them in that area? I think it's interesting because I think the default, except for students who know they test test well, I think the default is that everyone approaches it just from gut level gut, gut level fear. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm not sure that's necessary, uh, but I I I wouldn't say that where I work is representative of the entire uh, world. Um, but I the gut level fear that you know, this is going to be something that uh, undermines all of the other hard work is, is generally that initial inclination that students come to me with about testing. Um, however, we encourage our students to really think about um, testing as, you know, keeping it where it belongs, which is this is one piece of the application and you owe it to yourself to do it right, right? So we're telling them that if you familiarize yourself with what's out there, 
if you are taking the time to prepare for what you know will be on this test. Um, and doing things like thinking about your stamina over the length of time that it takes to take the test, thinking about how you slept, think about what you ate, think about the setting where you'll be taking it. Um, those are things that are just as important in doing well, because I think students just fear like, I'm not going to know what's on the test. And I think for the most of them, they do know what, you know, they can get a book and open it up and see the types of questions that would be on it. Um, so we counsel students to think about the best ways that, to prep for the, them, for the individual, as opposed to what has worked for their, perhaps their older sibling or their um, neighbor or someone in their class. Um, and to resist saying anything about whether or not they're a good test taker, until they've actually put the time in to prepare in a way that makes sense um, for the test and then make a decision about how they feel about the test when they have some results in front of them. Um, and, that, and using that to modify how they prepare if they choose to take another test after that. Um, I'm coming from a strong testing is not the be all end all. There's a lot of ways to do good prep. Um, and this knee jerk response is that it's gonna undo all of the things that you have done so well and have been so attentive to is just real, but not rational. I get the fear, but we can change that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that places, um, the ways that Kaplan offers a variety of test prep is helpful for our students. Um, I also think too, again, students are, it's fear about the test, but also fear that they don't have the hours and hours and hours and weeks and years to prepare or the millions of dollars to prepare, you know, because that's where our mind goes is that it's going to take too long and it's going to cost too much. And I don't know anything on it. Um, and I'm trying to work with the students from that position of hyperbole to know what are we really talking about and then using the resources available around them and there are plenty yeah. so that's where i think our students are about testing um by that that's also part of the long versus short process students sometimes think you know i'm going to take a test once and get what i get and then move on um and that's very rarely the case yeah. um, especially if they didn't do any prep before um for whatever reason uh, so maybe the testing piece is the thing that makes the process a little bit longer for them. Well, it's been been great uh, to to speak with you and uh, learn a little more about your your story, Ryan. And I appreciate you uh, taking the time. And uh... been awesome. All right, that's it for today. It was great to have this conversation with Ryan, and I want to thank you for joining me for this episode. If you enjoyed listening to it, please subscribe to the College Counseling Podcast. Also, be sure to bookmark our Counselor Hub at captest.com slash counselors for great resources for you and your students. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at samuel.pritchard at kaplan.com or on Twitter at sampritchard.edu. Thank you for listening.